This podcast is brought to you by Stonely, an interactive guidance platform for self-serve support. Deflect tickets, decrease costs, and delight customers with beautiful step-by-step guides that can be embedded anywhere. Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Queue, a podcast by Stonely that looks at the human side of customer support leadership. I'm your host, Meredith Metzger, and this week I'm excited to welcome Angela Rayford, the Director of Community Happiness at Patreon. In this episode, I talk with Angela about the unique challenges she faces as a support leader at Patreon, including how she uses data and segmentation to support over 7 million users with a 50-person team. And those 7 million users include several very different user types across B2B and B2C including creators, fans, and other patrons. Angela shares how she identifies the different support needs of Patreon's B2B and B2C customers, how she segments her team to better serve each group, and how she monitors and manages the performance of her agents. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Queue. Today I'm very excited to welcome Angela Rayford. She is the Director of Support at Patreon. Angela, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, thank you, Meredith. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to our topic today. So, as you and I kind of know, Patreon has a lot of unique support challenges. I mean, you all are supporting a ton of different kinds of users, different use cases, you have interesting billing cycles, and I imagine that that is a lot to handle and interesting to deal with as a support leader. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of those challenges. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, yeah, we definitely have a a number of challenges. I think one of the exciting things if if there were to be exciting things about the pandemic is that like um over the course of 2020 we we actually did see patreon blow up a lot more and on the main stage of like social media and more creators coming and being like you know how how do i use patreon um for for my members how can i how can i use this um to my advantage as a creator so it's really helped make some of our uniqueness a little easier to explain. But really, when I think about support, I'd I'd break our challenges up into really three pieces, right? We have one, the uniqueness of being a creator first company and having a model that really means that we're working with both B2C and B2B um, kind of uh, service here, which is difficult in itself when you have that combination. And then two is that we have a a legacy billing model that charges all of our payments on the first. So uh, this results in a really heavy load for our support team. And we actually see between 300 to 400% increase in volume over the first (laughs) few days. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And that's just within the first few days of the month. So you can imagine really difficult when you have such a drastic difference in the volume of, of emails that teammates are working through on the first week of a month compared to the second, compared to the third, compared to the fourth. And then I think really Thirdly, and really importantly for for me as as a manager, really, is the managing performance across all of those things. So, okay, you've got a unique set of of creators and members using our platform and different 
types of people that are set to handle all those different types of users. And then you've got this really drastic increase in volume, which, you know, a lot of customer support managers use ticket volume as a, as a metric of how many emails you're, you're working through. So really important for us to get performance management right, knowing that we have these challenges. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great overview. I kind of want to dig into the creator first concept and what it means to be creator first. Um, I know that creator membership is kind of a hot topic these days. Lots of companies are now jumping into the space, you know, and while it's still fairly new for the rest of the market, you all at Patreon have been around for eight years. You were the first in this space. So can you just tell me a little bit about what being creator first means and then how you balance supporting so many different types of users, including B2B and B2C? Yeah, that's a great question. So for Patreon, creator first really means that we lead with creators. So we don't have algorithms, we don't have advertisers that we're beholden to. And in addition to that, when creators choose us, they get full ownership of their content. So when you're on Patreon and you're posting your content, you can take that with you. Your relationship with your members, you can take them with you. You have access to their content details. It's not stuff that we keep hidden or try to hide from you. And in addition to that, we also aim to make sure creators get more. We have a really small cut, smallest of of every platform. So those things are really important to us when we think about being creator first. And because we give them that extreme ownership of their content, of their members, it really means that as a company, we are incentivized to make sure that we're serving them in the right ways. And when we're thinking of new products and we're thinking about improving on existing products, we're really thinking of creators because we are incentivized by our by the nature of our model to do so. And I think you asked about ba- balancing, like how do we kind of balance having all these Uh, member types. And really, it starts with understanding the scope of requests. I've been at Patreon for six years. And so I've really seen the support inbounds go from being about 50-50 creators and their members to now 70% of our requests on a monthly basis come from members. So uh, really understanding that and knowing, okay, what does that mean? What's the average handle time of a member request compared to a creator request? And is there a different kind of uh, type of agent that we would want to hire to work on those requests? Understanding the nature of those requests is really important to knowing how to balance it. Should we have a specific a sub team within the member team to deal with those 70% of the requests? And um, so, so that's really important to, to me to make sure I understand staffing, to make sure I understand what a stellar experience looks like is really what are the requests from B2C and B2B customers. Okay. So what are some of those, I guess, main differences that you see between your B2B and B2C customers? In general, B2B requests are more complex. So even though they're only 30% of the volume, though that's the volume where we might have teammates that are responsible for taking phone calls, for working closely with our partnerships teams and coming up with more unique solutions for their kind of Patreon world. you know. And I think for member support, like I said previously, we do give creators extreme ownership of their members. So there's some stuff that we just don't handle because, you know, the creator might be responsible for the benefits, but because that's quite new and, and, um, you know, for a lot of platforms, 
members are coming to us and we actually might have just like redirects, right? It might just be us saying like, hey, I, I don't know the answer to that, but here's how to connect with your creator. And so the, the biggest difference we see that's most tangible is request time. So the average handle time of a member request is going to be drastically uh, faster to get through in the full resolution time as well, rather than creator requests where we really, you might work on just 10 tickets or maybe 20 tickets compared to for our member team, they might be going through 50 or 60 emails just because of the nature of those requests. I'm curious in your, your six years at Patreon, how, how have you adjusted how you respond to those different types of requests, how you kind of assign resources? Um, yeah, I'm just curious how that's changed. Yeah, it's it's definitely changed um, for for people that have worked with me. I'm I'm generally was more. I, we had a very much more general support team because, although yeah, you're right. Seventy percent of our requests come from members. A lot of them are in the same kind of five buckets of request types. Most of that relies on payments, which is our bread and butter. We are a membership platform, but also payments is a big part of that. So. Um, in the past, we were a team of generalists. Everyone could do everything, you know, so that meant you might be getting 10 trainings on how how Patreon works and how to do billing for a creator and a patron. And only over the last two years have we really segmented the team into a few key areas, one being operations, you know, finally having a team that's dedicated to triage, staffing, making sure our forecasting is, is up to par and content support. So for us, content support is really impactful. So our self-service scores, our help center, the macros that our team uses, the L&D programs that we bring to our product support teammates, and then, you know, creator support. So we actually moved away from having a general team where you could be working with creator one ticket and move to a patron the next, where now we have like a dedicated creator support team and they're a little more autonomous. They don't have as many kind of baseline metrics. We're kind of like, do what it takes to deliver a stellar experience and will you know the performance management is a little bit more qualitative so that really has changed for me where I've been a little less general and now I'm just like no everybody should be more specific you should have more nuance you should be the the expert of this thing even if we're not getting a huge inbound for that specific thing it's it's just best to have those experts in-house yeah that makes a lot of sense I'm curious what the results have been so far from kind of moving to a more segmented team. Yeah, you know, I think the the best results that I can ask for is that the team is happy. You know, we we I think um, we've just seen teammates be more excited about being experts in their field or even when we we first decided to split the team into creator and patron and we said they're going to be different metrics you're going to have um, different conversations people were like excited to be split up they're like well I, I love working with creators so if i could move to the creator team like that would be exciting for me that would help me be really energized um, when i wake up in the morning and get to work so um, i think one we just saw a positive impact on the team it felt like you know there were more career pathing adventures for them to take within support and, you know, outside of support as well. But it was really exciting to have different paths within support. And then I think the other thing is like positive feedback from our closest partners. 
So it means having our go-to-market teams be really excited because, okay, now they have a dedicated person that might be able to jump on a phone call with a creator and really explain the dashboards and be responsible for a little bit more handholding than they would in the past. So the, that combination of things was really exciting. Great team feedback and also great pe- feedback from our partners. Oh, I love that. Yeah, sounds like it's going really well so far then. Yeah, it's going well so far. I think the thing that happens with me now is I'm constantly like, wait, maybe we should just have one person who does that. And we just, you know, like sometimes the the, the hiring list starts to grow and grow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of a great segue into my next question. I'm curious how you, as the director of support there, how do you go about deciding that you need to hire someone for the creator team or the member team or um, if you have folks internally how how do you decide who to place on each team um, I yeah. know you mentioned that some people just express their own interest in moving but aside from that I'm curious yeah how do you decide how to structure your segmented teams yeah it's a great question I think that comes down to the performance management piece of things and also understanding the scope of requests so sometimes you can just look at the scope of request or think about you know if we are creator first that means excelling in reply times that means excelling in like the kind of warm and fuzzy feeling that a creator has when they reach out to you so we know that there's just a different type of person that kind of can give that in like a written request um, over over anyone else. So sometimes it's just looking at the scope of requests and us knowing like, okay, like there's just something about when you read a ticket from certain agents where you're like, whoa, that was like the best possible way they could have said that thing to me, even if it's like, hey, there's a bug, we can't fix it. And you're just like, but they made me feel warm and fuzzy about that bug not being fixed. And that's kind of, that helps us know like, yeah, maybe that person is going to be better suited toward the creator team. But I think when it comes to uh, data around it is that we actually have a manager um, who works really closely with our finance teams, with our data science team to really build out a forecast model that works for both our page, both our member and, and our creator segments and identify what our queue might look like. And so that might mean, okay, we know the member support queue needs people that can work through a lot of tickets in a, in a quick amount of time. So that's going to be somebody who's, who just is a, you know, can go through the queue really, really fast. And there are those kind of people that like, they don't miss on QA, they don't miss on satisfaction, they don't miss on, you know, any of the metrics where it really counts and they can go through a large number of tickets. And there are agents that are like, ah, no, they're gonna work best with like a smaller amount of tickets and be able to have really stellar metrics, but they need to work with a smaller amount of of tickets. And so that's gonna be someone who's better suited to a more specific team like creators over members. So that that really is something we look at forecasting. What do we what do we need from a business perspective? And then qualitatively, where do we see strengths in our teammates? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot that goes into that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I think it's something that excites me. I, I, as performance management and working with the manager team to really have a great understanding of our agent's strengths and weaknesses and working around them when it makes sense. You know, obviously you might have teammates that just don't want to work in support anymore. It can be one of those roles that can feel transitory. I think at Patreon, we're really lucky to have really um, 
healthy retention on our support team. A lot of the teammates that work in support have done so for four years, for five years, for two wow. years. So yeah, we have a lot of longstanding team members, but also just being really honest, if it's not working out, maybe maybe they're better suited to moving into trust and safety and we can establish those relationships. So I, I really like making sure that I understand the performance of each teammate and why or why not they might be hitting a metric and will they be better suited somewhere still in our organization or can we help them make a soft landing within the organization at another team gotcha oh i love that and i like not only is that great for people management but it sounds like that method is very effective when it comes to providing really great support for both your creators and your members that's a win -win. Yeah, I totally because you know, if someone's not happy to be there, you you can tell on the metrics like, you know, at a certain point, you just get so burnt out. And you're like, Oh, I'm so tired. I don't like working in emails. And you just go, Okay, well, you know, let's let's see is, is there a business opportunity for you to not work in email? Sometimes there isn't like sometimes you have to be realistic and say, Oh, well, all of our volume is coming into emails and not socials or not calls. So, you know, we just really need this. But other times you, you might get a lucky break and say, well, you know, actually, we're looking for someone who, you know, will be working more in socials. And that seems to excite you. Do you want to try out for, for this role, interview for it, those kind of things? Okay, cool. Um, so kind of on this, on this note of, you know, kind of specializing your team and figuring out how to best serve different types of customers. I'm curious, what what advice or what best practices would you give to other support leaders who might be in the same boat? Maybe they're serving multiple user types or they're serving B2B and B2C and so on. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is like running the data, working with user research, working with data science early earlier than you think you you need to um, because really you just have to understand what's what's there what's going to be the best funnel for the b2b customer for the the b2c side you really have to look at the data and really understand those funnels those flows that are going to be most successful for them and that will allow you to build the stellar ex internal experience as well as the external experience. Um, so yeah, I, I, th I think that would be um, the biggest thing. And then the other thing is like, yeah, you should look at the market too, right? You should look at where product is going because sometimes your product team might be building an experience for the next year that looks drastically different for support. Maybe it requires something completely new and different of you. And you need to be aware of that make sure you're planning a couple steps ahead of them because of the staffing and all the work that goes into really supporting that experience with with training as, as well as hiring. Okay. I'm curious with you mentioned working with uh, user research and the data team, what kind of data, what kind of metrics are you looking at to make some of these decisions about how you serve B2B and B2C? Yeah, so I mean, there's kind of the core support metrics, right? Average handle time, CSAT, QA. Um, those are the core things that we look at. When we, when we talk to our partners, we, we do kind of use those as levers. But then when it comes to user research and data science, for data science, one thing that's helpful for us is just like being able to slice our data in new ways. So we use Zendesk as our main CRM, but to be honest, the data reporting tools aren't as amazing or slick 
as they could be. So we rely on data science and we ask them like, hey, like, can you help us like look at this data in a new way? So that might mean for us using tools like Mode and working closely with a data scientist to make sure that anyone in the company, if they wanted to see the split of our tickets or, you know, how many creators and how many members wrote in and who are they, you know, kind of supporting on the platform, it, it makes the data more accessible to everyone. So everyone can kind of do their own due diligence when it makes sense for them to dive in. So those are the kind of things we look at with data science. And then for user research, it's really helpful, especially for teams like content support, where do we understand what our creators, what our members want when they look at our FAQ page, and are they being directed to those places? So sometimes it might be a user research study where they're just going through the flow and they're kind of seeing like, what did you anticipate when you landed on this page? Or what were you were you looking for, right? Or how would you want to get in touch with support? It's, sometimes it's helpful to know, uh, you know, a lot of teams are doing live chat or a lot of companies are, you know, even companies like Stripe or other they, I think over the last two years have implemented phone support. And it's like, that probably came through a user research session where they finally realized, you know, everybody wants to use the phone these days, which is a kind of a difference from uh, where we were in the past. And so we've also done studies like that, where like, how do you want to reach support? Is that through socials? Is that through a live chat channel? Is that through email? And that will help us kind of plan out who we need to bring on to the team or what career paths might be available for the team fairly soon. You know, if we know we want need to get live chat because that's what will excite our creators and excite our members, then, you know, okay, we need to start thinking about that a couple months ahead of time. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in that, in your answer, you mentioned self-serve uh, content, which reminded me that I wanted to dig into that a little bit more too. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that that was one of the places you kind of been reinvesting over the last few years in order to better serve these multiple user uh, user populations. So can you just tell me a little bit more about what you've been doing, how you decide what topics to cover, how you're delivering the help content? I'm just, yeah, I'm curious what your process has been. Yeah, so this is all owned by our content support team, which is an arm of the support team, and they're really dedicated to reviewing our help center uh, analytics. So using Google Analytics, using again, we, we use Zendesk for our CRM here um, to understand like, okay, well, when a creator lands on this page, where are they going? Where are they dropping off? What's the bounce rate? So there's kind of a number of metrics we look at just to have a good base. And then really what's important to us, especially as a small team, is how can we enable ourselves to um, be efficient with our resources. So Patreon has 7 million patrons, but our support team is less than 50 people, which is kind of, Whoa. you know, nuts to think about. <laughs> and, and the way that we're able to um, attain that is by having a really high self-service score. So making sure when our members are landing on that FAQ page that they're go getting to the right place and they're getting there quickly um, and that it's it's easy to read, you know, and so we're looking at the metrics of like, okay, well, how long were they on this page? And does that make sense given the, the nature of the information? And our content support team has also tested out a few things like, you know, we've tried out videos, we've tried out audio, we've tried doing more images, less images. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we've also just been uh, 
making sure help center content is accessible. So are we adhering to all the accessibility guidelines to make sure that we're accounting for, for people that might have easily bounced because they couldn't read the page? Like maybe it wasn't screen reader accessible. So there's a number of projects that we work on, but I think the kind of main thing that we do look at is our self-service score and, and how are we helping the product support team once things go to email, once things go to, to socials? How are you helping um, maintain a, a good balance of the tickets that come in? Another thing that we, we measure manually, um, which has been a bit of a journey, is that we actually have agents fill out a custom field when they're answering an email where they'll check like, was an agent required to answer this email or could they have found it themselves? And when we think about could the member or creator find it themselves, we're not saying like, oh, could they have done a five page research paper and like found it that way? We're just like, no, is there like a clear accessible button within patreon.com or on the help center feed where they could have found this answer? Yes or no. And then we kind of are able to look at that and see, okay, well, is the mix of like, um, they could have solved them this, um, themselves too high, right? Because you want your agents to be efficient. If they're constantly sending macros and all the all the tickets are the same, that signals a product issue, or it could signal a documentation issue, which is where our content support team could could help. So we'll we'll use that data to work with our cross functional partners and and just it's just an input, right? It's never going to be a directive, but you, you know, giving them those inputs to see if they can help us be more efficient as well. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for, for that detail that it sounds like it's going really well. Yeah, it's going really well. And we're actually expanding that team. So I think small team is kind of like, I keep mentioning it, but like we we're, we're getting bigger and that team is actually scaling. And now we have like a dedicated training specialist who's going to like build out certifications. Like what if you got certified as a customer support member, like member support person or a creator support person and what does that look like? Um, how does that help us with performance management and also a dedicated QA specialist? So moving that from all the managers QAing all of their teammates to like, okay, let's get somebody dedicated here so that we can scale this team and, and managers can have a little bit more breathing room to focus on their direct report. So yeah, I, I'm really excited about the content support work that we're doing actually. Yeah, for sure. It seems like in general, specialization has been a very big part of your strategy. A hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, I would like to transition kind of to uh, one of the second things that you mentioned. Um, so you mentioned that Patreon largely does all its billing on the first of every month, which means that you kind of have an interesting uh, ticket flow um, with yeah. related to billing issues. So can you just tell me a little bit about that? How do you, how do you plan for that? How do you handle it and plan around it? Yeah. It's tough. You have to find <laughs> priorities um, among the chaos. <laughs> like, I, I won't say we have it fully figured out, but I think the thing that helps the most is forecasting. So just having an understanding of where things might go. Obviously, there's always going to you know be things that might spike it different than you expected, um, and you have to kind of bake in some of that unplanned stuff into the forecast. But I think first having a forecast understanding, does that make our SLAs completely unattainable? Um, because, right, like a 300% increase, that, that's like 40 additional people for, for Patreon. So 
Sometimes it's not realistic for us to spin up, spin down, and just have teammates working for three days out of the month um, just to handle that volume. So we try to get really realistic about like, okay, does that mean that this SLA is going to be unattainable for this week? And then we go back to normalcy in the second, third, and fourth week. Or does that mean like, oh, actually it is attainable if we move a couple people from the member support team to the creator support team or vice versa. So really first having a strong forecast. We have two forecasts, one that we do internally with our FP&A and our data science team and one that we work with a third party provider on just because again, all that uniqueness does it makes make sometimes our forecast be wildly off. So we try to um, kind of have a little bit of a fail safe and, and look at two different variations of our forecast. And then I think the other thing is just like, you just have to try things out. We've tried a number of things from, you know, I think what's really common is like all hands on deck support, like an engineer, a product manager, they all can do support. But we found that that didn't really work for us. The product changes rapidly. Ultimately, a support person is going to be the best expert, right? And sometimes if you have an engineer or someone who's in a more dedicated vertical come in, you end up taking, we found like twice as long to answer a support ticket. So that didn't quite work for us. We've also tried kind of overstaffing. Um, and I think the only issues with that is that we found in the pandemic, we tried to, our forecast was just kind of wildly off because, you know, just things are unpredictable in a pandemic. We, we've, we've never experienced this before. And um, so we're, we're learning new things all the time. So currently what we're trying is that we're working with a few long-term contractors. We're going to stick with kind of the overstaffing route and, this time we're just going to, we're trying to overstaff significantly. We're overstaffing by 10 people. And so that might mean that our team maybe has a little less core support work to do over the like kind of third and fourth weeks of the month, but we know that it will ensure our service is more consistent than ever. And that's really the balance that we're trying to find is like, how can we just be really much more consistent and not have a wicked long reply time over the first through the fourth and then it drops down raps rapidly. We're trying to just achieve consistency. So not perfect yet, but you know, we're we're pulling out all the stops and, and trying a, a few a few new things every every month. Okay. And I imagine as you're expanding maybe like the self serve content topic again, as you're expanding that do any of those, does overstaffing kind of relate to that? Does any of the people that you hired as part of overstaffing when they have less to do in the latter half of the month, do they start supporting other projects? Yeah, so often the product, the, the projects can either lead them to content support. Typically, they're working on like submitting help center requests because we really try to have our expert content support team be the ones that are delivering and publishing that content. But they might submit like drafts of like, hey, I think this could be really helpful. Or, hey, what if our auto replier looked a little bit more like this? It gives them a little bit more time to explore those ideas that maybe they think of during the month, but just don't have a, a moment to, to breathe and, and really think about it. But I think where we try to place people is really in the kind of feedback and reviewing our, our cue more in depth, because 
it's hard to look at a big bucket of tickets, you know, look at 20,000 tickets and be like, what exactly is in there? What are those trends? How do they align to the business? So um, we, we do the, we have a couple projects. One of them is our monthly Eagle uh, where we have like a bird's eye view of the queue. So some of the teammates will just take the time to really dive into a few topics. You know, they might think like, hmm, I was seeing a few login issues and now I can just maybe spend half of my day looking through 500 emails and and really trying to assess what that what the heart of that issue is and deliver a really great piece of documentation for the organization to look at and get an understanding of of what we've really been working through on the support team. So, yeah, they can go to content support or they, or they can work on these kind of feedback projects. And then uh, you know, I don't know, it's it's kind of new to us having this much potentially free project time for the team to work through. Um, so I, I think the other things that, that I would hope for them to be able to work on is just like, what would you like to see the support team evolve into, right? You know, constantly thinking about our, our larger vision and we think about where we're going in the product, where we're going and uh, from as a support team, I would love for them to kind of think about where they see themselves within the organization and talk to me about those ideas. And so we can start to incorporate them as, as we do some larger vision thinking. So I'm hoping that they can really think about what does engagement look like for a CHT member, especially because we're all remote now or been lucky to be the kind of company that can have teammates work from home. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to hear what they come up with with this time. Okay. Yeah, that's like the perfect transition to my next question, kind of our next subtopic. So given all of these unique challenges that you face as the director of support at Patreon, how do you go about keeping your team happy, monitoring and managing their performance of all your agents in the face of all this uniqueness? Yeah. Um, so on a, on a monthly basis, all the managers, we actually get together and we do a performance management monthly. So all of the CH leaders uh, come to this meeting prepared to talk about all of their direct reports. So we'll spend an hour, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more um, going over each individual because, you know, performance management is always a little bit of art, a little bit of science. So the science comes in from like, we do have core metrics that each teammate uh, might be held to. Um, but then there's always going to be qualitative stuff. Like, was that person working on a project that was really impactful? Were they participating in more QA? or maybe they were on a few more creator phone calls with go-to-market than they were in the last month. And this meeting really helps us, one, analyze trends. So because when we're in this meeting, we're looking at the entire year and we kind of do a, a scorecard of like green, yellow, red. So you can really see as you're scrolling down, you know, like what's the, what does that look like for each individual and having an open discussion about it. And because we have all of the managers in a room versus like a one-to-one -one conversation, it really allows you to get more nuanced because sometimes you realize like, oh no, that your report's been reaching out to me. We've been working on this. I, I'm so sorry. Maybe, maybe that slipped their mind. You know, maybe there was something going on that one person knew that another didn't. So that's, that's how we assess it right now is through this monthly performance management meeting. And also we have regular touch bases as well. So we have weekly meetings where it's more of a larger KR check-in, but also if we're seeing, you know, maybe the creator team SLA is in a rocky place, why is that 
Where, where do you need support from different teammates? Um, we, we kind of try to have a lot of open touch bases about it. And then something you said about like, how do you keep agents happy and being supported? Uh, I mean, I, I think the number one would be having great managers. So do you have managers that are really reaching out to their direct reports in a way that is not just performance-based? Like if your only touch base with someone is to say like, yeah, you, you hit your ticket solve or you didn't hit your ticket solve. What's going on? You, you, the, that does kind of make a sense of dread and you're kind of like, oh, all we're going to talk about is metrics. But we try to establish relationships um, with our direct reports so that they have kind of that psychological safety and, and want to reach out to us about, you know, their aspirations within the organization or their frustrations. You know, maybe there's something that's frustrating that maybe we can provide more clarity on. And I think that that does that type of transparency with your reports does help with happiness because, you know, as companies scale, there's always so much going on and there's always going to be different focus points, right? Like my role as a director, sometimes like the things that their direct reports might see as a big concern is not going to be as big a concern for me, or it might feel like something that's light years away. Like what? Like, oh, that's still like a big issue. Like I didn't know, like, you know, my brain was somewhere else. And, um, so making sure that the managers are the ones making sure that they're addressing those, those pain points or those frustrations, even if it's not solving it right, sometimes it's not solving it. Sometimes it's just saying, well, here's the honest truth of what's going on there. Um, or it might be like, hey, that's not going to change. But like, let's think about all these like positive things that are going well, because you always kind of want to ch- take a look at your individual uh, direct reports and see are there 10 things that are driving their happiness down that are within the organization? Well, then it's probably going to, you're going to have a different conversation than if it's like two things, right? And if if those two things are in your control or not in your control. So it's, it's always going to be individual. Um, We also, we, we do try to like bring in some moments of, of levity, whether that's having, um, we started during the pandemic a CH water cooler channel. So our, our team name is Community Happiness. So CH Community Happiness Water Cooler. And originally I was like, maybe this can be like a fake water cooler conversation channel where you just come in, kind of pretend as if you were in any of our offices. Um, but really it's become a place for people to showcase things that are going on with them that they're excited about or maybe that they're worried about. A lot of dog pictures go in there. Um, So we have teammates that share kind of their playlist of like, hey, I've been listening to this as I've been working through the queue. It's really firing me up. Um, So making sure that they have those spaces to communicate with each other in a way that's like kind of low pressure, I think really helps. Also making sure that they're taking advantage of any benefits that might feel hidden. So, um, you know, we have therapy benefits and it's like, well, do you know about those? Like, is that something that interests you? Making sure that you're having these touch points. And then of course, offsites or, you know, right now virtual offsites, trying to have some moments. And I, I don't know if everybody does this, but I, when I schedule offsites, I'm always like, this is going to overlap a work day. I wanted to feel like, yeah, the, your work day is fun. Whether it's making pasta, it's going to an escape room, or, you know, we had a, a drag queen bingo night. Um, really try to make sure, no, you, this is going to break up your work day, whether it's at the end of your work day, or sometimes it's at the start, because we have a we have teammates in, in Portugal and Dublin and Berlin and teammates in San Francisco. So sometimes it's like 
you're, you're doing dinner at 8 a.m. It's just like, it, it's fine. Just go with it. We're all here together. Um, so just having so, some moments where you can break up the the work day, I think also, also help. And again, I'll double down on like being transparent about the things that might be going on. Again, I, I do really do like to look at a, an, an individual and say, well, well, are there 10 things that are driving your happiness down? Well, let's be honest, we can't solve 10 things. Is this really the list? If so, let's really think hard about what that means for, for your career and, and for your overall happiness. Or if there are two things, all right, let's go. This is attainable. Let's start tackling some of these this, these things, whether it's a communication tackling or building out a new system um, to address those things. So I, I think that's obviously a, a lot of stuff that I just said, but there, there's a lot that goes into maintaining happiness. But at its core, it's transparency, it's communication, it's it's bringing in those moments of levity in, in the workday. I love that. Yeah, it sounds like it's a great combination of, of those things you just mentioned, but also I'm seeing that theme and in the changes that you've made to like better serve your customers too. Like like you mentioned, your team has a chance in the latter half of the month to kind of think big picture, look at patterns and be empowered to be involved in the vision for the team in the future. And then allowing them to be more specialized and kind of decide what direction they want to go. Just sounds like on the whole, all of those things are con- are contributing to age and happiness on your team. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Um, (laughs) Cool. Well, I think that's a good spot for us to kind of start to wrap up. But before I ask you my last question, is there anything else on this topic that uh, you would like to add that we haven't covered yet? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Then I will ask you uh, my last question. It's kind of the big one, but... Just generally speaking, what advice do you have for up-and-coming support leaders? I think the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is embedding yourself within the organization, which is kind of a tried-and-true thing. But for me, that doesn't just mean only working with other managers. So I think something that's common is like you become a manager, you start, you know, moving up in the leadership ranks and you're like, okay, I can only have a relationship with all the directors. And like, that's, that's where, where I play now. Um, but, but what I found is that there's so much value in retaining great relationships across the organization. So not just product managers, not just engineering, but finance, data science, and the ICs within the organization. I think it's really great to have a good balance of relationships with both leadership and ICs because it really will allow you to have a good view on the organization at large. And it means you're not waiting for kind of survey data to be published among managers to really see like, oh, that's going on in engineering or oh, like that I had no idea that that was top of mind for the workplace team. And you'll know, you'll start to know those things before they're happening. And, you know, maybe even you're able to prevent things from festering in your organization because you have a greater lay of the land. So that's what I would suggest is making sure that you're maintaining good relationships across the org. Doesn't always have 
have to be leaders. It should involve a few ICs. And it doesn't mean just focusing on product and engineering, the orgs that are, you know, generally a little bit more visible. It means looking into finance organization because having a really healthy checkbook and having a good relationship with their finance VP will make you more successful. You'll be able to, you know, potentially get more resources and data science kind of as we talked about over the the podcast today is is you know having the right data and being able to share it out widely is so important and when you maintain those good relationships you're going to be able to see things in a, a new light that might drive you to a better organization a more world-class organization in my eyes so yeah embed yourself within the organization among ICs and leadership oh, I love that sounds like a really great way to not only learn about your organization and all the different facets of it, but maybe to also keep support top of mind uh, for yes, all of those that, other departments. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, actually, because I, I do find that uh, whether it's a relationship I maintain or other people on the support team, uh, you can tell when someone has a good relationship with us or has heard a lot from us because, you know, if they'll post an update in Slack or Jira or anything, they'll go, well, make sure you touch base with support, mm. <laughs> you know, or like, hey, I actually talked <laughs> to support and I they've actually been seeing this trend. And so they become, you know, people that can promote your work across the organization without you having to, you know, go through every meeting and, and pitch at everything. Like, you, yeah, you start to get these internal promoters, which, which can help you be successful. That's totally right. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, well, cool. I think that's all the questions that I have for you, Angela. Thank you so much again for taking the time to do this. This was a really great conversation and I think our audience is going to love it and get a ton of insights from it. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Meredith. This was really fun. Um, I really appreciate you. The the questions that you that brought to the table, they're, they're really exciting for me to get to talk about. So thank you so much. Awesome. You're welcome. Um, and if anybody listening wants to learn more from you or get in touch with you or anything, what's a good way for them to do that? Um, I guess the best way would be Twitter. I'm bad at LinkedIn. I do have LinkedIn. I'm getting better at using LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, but my my socials like so specifically Twitter, I'm not super active, not like a heavy poster, but like that is a really great way to get in touch with me. Um, we also are hiring. So if you apply on our careers page to any of the support roles or any role, like you also may get the chance to interview with me. <laughs> so if things <laughs> sound it really exciting um, from an organization standpoint, our careers page is also a great, great way to, to get in touch with me in a roundabout way. <laughs> That's all for this episode of Beyond the Q. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.